Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. So apologetics, as I said, means giving the reasons. We've seen reasons for God, reasons for the Bible, reasons for Christianity. Over the past few weeks, Dr. Corbett has been engaged in a series on apologetics, which comes from the Greek word meaning to give the reason. We've been outlining the reasons why we believe in the God of the Bible, why we can rely on the authority of the Bible and how Christianity is unique. That's fine when we're talking to people who might just be a bit skeptical about Christianity. But what about those who are hostile towards it? That's where polemics comes in, confronting bad and false ideas with reason and truth. Christianity has a long tradition in polemics from great leaders such as Martin Luther. Tonight, Dr. Corbett concludes his five-part series on apologetics, looking specifically at the apologetic arguments for polemics. I want to pray because what we are going to be looking at is going to be really, really important. And I run the risk of confusing or, or being misunderstood and because of that risk I want to pray and I ask you to pray for me as I share and and I know that there are people as I, I mentioned last week there are people who have been praying for this moment throughout the week and some of you have even joined with us in fasting and praying and I appreciate that and if you're here today as a visitor uh, we welcome you thank you for being here if you're here today because uh, of a dare or a bet that you lost, uh, you're welcome, welcome. And I need you to know that we have people who are praying for you right now. And uh, as a result of that, we expect that something's going to happen in your heart. At the end of this message, I'm going to invite people to respond. I'm going to invite people to do something with what I've shared. I'm not just here to impart information. I'm here to, to do something which I, I hope will, will change the way you think, change the way you feel, change the way you see the world. To help you with that, at the end of this, I want to give you, we've gone to Kurong, we've got off, almost literally off the top shelf of Kurong, we've gone and got some really nice Bibles and we want to give you a Bible and there'll be some people who will help me at the end of, of what I'm sharing, who will talk with you, they'll show you where... The Gospel of Luke is in here and we'll invite you to read the Gospel of Luke throughout this week. We'll also give you something to help you get started. It's called Your New Life and this will help you to come to understand what it means to be a Christian. And they'll show you how to get started in that and then we want to really, really help you. Our motto is helping make life better and we think that giving your life to Christ is really where that starts. So would you pray with me now? Father, I pray. That as I speak, people will hear your voice. As I stand here, may I become invisible and may people increasingly see you more clearly. I pray, Father, for those people who perhaps have never heard the, the message of Christianity presented like this, that, Father, you would help them to hear what you would want them to hear in a way you'd want them to hear it. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been in a series on apologetics. And apologetics isn't what sounds like the art of saying I'm sorry. And it's actually from two Greek words, apologia, apologos. So take those two words. Apo means with. It's one of the meanings of with. 
and logos, which means the reason or the word. And we use that in English today in the sense of the study of. So we talk about uh, biology. The, the, the lology is the, the, from this Greek word, the study of all the reasons. And so apologia means to give the reasons. And it's, it's actually found in the Bible. It's out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which I've mentioned throughout this series so far. And today I bring this to a conclusion. But let me just refresh your memories. It says, But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So I've seen... That as Christians, when we're asked the question, why do you believe what you believe? Or why are you a Christian? Or why do you believe in the God of the Bible? Our answer isn't, well, because I feel it meets the need of my life. I mean, that, that might be your answer, but that's not the best answer. Your answer uh, might be because it's met a need in my life. Christianity has met a need in my life, which Christianity does meet need in your life. But that's not the best answer. Uh, it could be because you had a religious experience and that could be your answer but that's not the best answer because just about any other religion will offer those three reasons why they're following their religion as well so what separates other religions from Christianity and as I, I quoted John Dixon who said something along the lines of the strength of Hinduism is its ability to embrace difference the, the strength of Buddhism is to encourage peace but the strength or the strength of Islam is its muscularity but the strength of Christianity is that it's true now ask yourself which of those ones is most important and I think this was John Dixon's point that Christianity is true and that forms the best reason for those questions. Why are you a Christian? Why do you believe this? Why do you believe in the God of the Bible? Because it's true. And over the last four sessions, I've been giving the reasons why it's true. The reasons why we know that it's true, that there is a God. And these, uh, these form the basis of what we might call uh, objective reasons objective reasons are reasons that aren't subject to what i think or feel or even believe they completely stand on their own uh, we've seen that there are good reasons for believing that the bible is the inspired infallible and errant word of god which is designated with a special term in both hebrew and greek and in english it translates as scripture and so the scriptures is the designation given to that authoritative, uniquely authoritative word of God. One Catholic scholar I read, he, he said this, Just as Jesus Christ is the word, John chapter 1 verse 1, who was without sin. So God has given us the written word which is without error. We've seen that Christianity is true. And that there's good reasons for believing that Christianity is true. And they all are built on the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. And this is not a small thing. Because when we examine Christianity compared with other religions, we see that when you compare the founders of other religions, there's some huge inconsistencies except when it comes to Jesus. And here's the interesting thing. Every religious scholar 
speaks well of Jesus. It's bizarre that they would do that. Every religious scholar of other religions acknowledges the basic facts of what the Christian gospel teaches, that Jesus Christ lived a miraculous life, that he died, that no one denies that, that he was buried, and that his believers, his followers, believed that they saw him three days, as the Jews count days, which is just part of a day. They saw him alive after he had been dead three days earlier. And every religious scholar of other religions acknowledges those minimum facts about Jesus. Building on those minimum facts, we have eyewitness testimony of, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 500 eyewitnesses at one time who saw Jesus, not three days after, but some uh, within 40 days after Jesus being raised from the dead. And Paul the Apostle says, some of these people are even alive today and you can track them down and ask them yourself. That's a big claim. Paul writing this about 55 AD to the Corinthians. Big claim. So apologetics, as I said, means giving the reasons. We've seen reasons for God, reasons for the Bible, reasons for Christianity. Today, I want to conclude this by giving you an aspect of what it takes to help people believe that Christianity has had a long tradition in. So let me, to do this, I raise this. Apologetics, giving good reasons, defending what we believe as Christians, is geared toward those who are inquisitive or even sceptical about the claims of Christianity. But that's all they are. They're inquisitive or sceptical. And if that's you, you are super welcome here. In fact, we've had some people come. I remember uh, one young man who's a part of this church. He came the first Sunday he came. He came because he said publicly, uh, and he sat in the back like this. People came up to him to shake his hand. He just he wouldn't budge, wouldn't even offer a hand. He just said, hmm. And he came, he said, to watch firsthand what we did so that he could then go on Facebook and write all the reasons why we were wrong. So he came that first Sunday, and that's, that was, some of you know who I'm talking about, and, and he's like, that like that. But something happened to him that Sunday that surprised him. He came back the next Sunday. This time he wasn't so, he was more like, and something happened again. Then the next Sunday he came back and he was more like, like this. And I preached on Jeremiah part 23. Anyone remember Jeremiah? And he came up to me at the end and he told me his story. He came up at the end and he said, you know, I came, and he told me the story. I came here to write a thing and put it on Facebook and absolutely slam you guys. But something happened to me and something happened to me today. And he said, I'm a believer. I believe. And he was later baptised and, and I think that's what God does. 
That's what God does. Anyone ever heard of a bloke by the name of Kanye? You have to be under 20, I think, to, or 25. Oh, I see that 20-year-old hand in the back. <laughs> Been 20 uh, for a long time, uh, Julie. Anyway, um, Kanye West. I had my daughter ring me up from Melbourne going, Oh, Dad, have you heard? Uh, bushfires in New South Wales. I'm thinking, you know, big important stuff to, to, to raise a shrill in the voice. Uh, I think I've heard. What have you heard? Kanye! And I've got to admit, is that, a, is that like um, a condiment? Like, if you played a Kanye West song to me, I would have no idea. Apparently, they're babylonb.com, which is a, a a satirical Christian website, said uh, youth pastor leads worship and, and forgets which era to take Kanye West songs from and he took it from the pre-Christian ones which apparently is full of swearing, sexual innuendo and all sorts of stuff. And that's why when Kanye became a Christian, apparently it was a big deal. And he's apparently gone through a massive transformation so you've got someone who was singing against christianity singing against the worldview singing against the values of christianity and all the while that was going on something was going on in his heart leading him to recently surrender his life to christ and he's just released an album and if i'm not mistaken and lolly do you know the name of the album don't does anyone know the name of the album Jesus is king. That, was that you, Russell? Are you into Kanye? Eh? <laughs> you keep up with things. <laughs> Jesus is king. And it's apparently, apparently pretty good. It's, uh, it's rap, which as far as I knew was like... But apparently you can sing that. I don't know how anyway... So that's where apologetics fits in. Apologetics confronts people who are inquisitive, who are maybe sceptical. And sceptical just means, and I encourage scepticism. Scepticism means I won't believe unless I've got good reasons to believe. It's different to cynical. Cynical is I'm just not going to believe. I believe something else. That's what I hold to. And I'm not going to believe it. But what about those people who aren't inquisitive and they're not sceptical and they're not even cynical? They're beyond cynical. These are the people who are hostile to Christianity. Have you ever met people who are irrationally hostile to Christianity? Now, when I say that, we, we might think, yeah, someone tooted their horn at me because I had a Christian sticker on the back of my car. As if that was persecution. And this, this week I heard the story of Andrew Brunson, uh, Pastor Andrew Brunson, who he and his wife wanted to go to the mission field and Andrew Brunson was raised in a, a Spanish-speaking home and he was hoping that the Lord would see fit, that, uh, see it clear that he could go into a Spanish-speaking country and eat you know, Mexican food and preach in Spanish and everything would be all well with the world. Instead, God called him and his wife to go to Turkey 25 years ago, just over 26 years ago, or 27 now, 27 years ago. And 
His wife said, where? He said, Turkey. And she immediately burst into tears. No, no, she said, I don't want to go. And he said that as they were walking across the, the, the thing to get in the plane, she was crying because of her reluctance to go. And he said they got there and God put a love in their heart for Turkey. Now let me tell you about Turkey. You know when you read Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians? That's Turkey. When you read in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia, those seven churches, Asia, that's Turkey. It was evangelised by the apostles early on. Then something happened. Something happened around 700 or so, 700, 800 AD. And the whole thing changed. Christians were killed and the Muslims conquered Byzantium, which was then known as Constantinople. And they call it Istanbul. And the whole region became Muslim. And today, Turkey is 99.9% Muslim. It has the, apparently the lowest ratio of Christians per capita of any country in the world. Turkey, a country of tens of millions of people, has less than, as, as best can be calculated, 6,000 Christians in the whole country. That, that's less than, less than 0.01% of the population, apparently, according to when I was listening to Andrew Brunson and his wife talk. Andrew Brunson went to the local authorities and said, I'm a Christian minister and I'm setting up a church. Now that means you don't, it's not like setting up a church here. You set up a church and you hope other people from other churches come and you, you call that evangelism. In Turkey, you actually have to evangelize. So he set up a, a thing and said, this is a church and just waited to see who would come in and then they would just talk with them and share Christ with them. And eventually people did and then the government didn't like what he was doing, even though what he was doing was not illegal and it's allowed under Turkish law. And they charged him with espionage and uh, uh, crimes of terrorism. And he was imprisoned. And he was tortured. And he was accused of being a CIA spy. They released his wife. She's not sure why. And they kept him. He had a mental breakdown, a physical breakdown, and he says by his own admission, he nearly broke down spiritually. He was put in solitary confinement and then for the first year, and then into the second year, he was put in a room with uh, 20 ISIS captives, actual terrorists. And he said they... 24-7 reciting the Quran and doing their prayers and the whole thing and he said it was so oppressive that he nearly lost the plot he was asked whether he became suicidal at all and he said just for a moment and then I changed my prayer to God would you please kill me it was devastating so when I say hostile and in opposition to Christianity I think if Andrew Brunson was here today he'd paint you a completely different picture to your you know someone tooted the horn at your Christian bumper sticker sort of persecution you hear what I'm saying 
There are parts of this world where Christianity means a death sentence. That's the level of hostility against Christianity. You know, in Australia, we're not there. That's worth, you know, when you say grace tonight, throw that one in as a thanks to God part of the grace, I reckon. But this is what I know about history. That when the church becomes complacent, persecution becomes inevitable. And I'm afraid for the church. I don't want us to become complacent. So here's my question. What is needed? For those who are not inquisitive or sceptical about Christianity, they're actually hostile toward it. Vehemently hostile toward it. What's needed? The early church faced this. The early church faced this in the first, second, third, all the way through to the modern era. The church has faced this and it had a response. And here is what I'm going to be talking about today. And as I said to Kim, I said, this is not an easy message for me to do today because I have never spoken on this. The apologetic arguments for polemics. Now, did, have you got a Freddo frog on you at all, Kim? Oh, what a shame. Does anyone know what polemics means? Yeah, well, you could have had your Freddo frog and kept it because I would have given someone a Freddo frog if they knew what polemics means. Does anyone know what polemics means? David, what does polemics mean? No, keep your frog. Mike. All right, you're going to get a frog. Do you eat Freddo frogs? Oh, well, you're safe. But Kim's going to give you something else. All right, Mike is right. Does anyone watch American football? Does anyone understand American football? You do, Jordan. All right. You don't know how? All right. I, I, I'm trying to get my head around. I was, my, uh, my daughter is going out with um, an American from Chicago, and I used him as my, uh, can you please explain this to me moment about American football? Because it's difficult enough for an Australian to, you ever tried to explain to an American what cricket's all about? It's like, you know, the guy's coming, the batsman's coming in because he's out. And the batsman who was up here in the stands is now going out because he's in. You, you can see how an American would struggle to get their head around this. An Australian trying to get their head around American football. Here's what I understand. Every side has within it two teams. There's the defence team and the offensive team. And now offensive doesn't mean, oh, I don't like your shirt. It's like they're going to they're gonna get the ball and try and score. They're the offensive side. And as I discovered, because I thought there was just the two sides within an American NFL team, I discovered that there's actually some other guys just on the fringe, and there's only about two or three of them, and they're called the specialists. And um, I could explain to you what they do, but it, you, I'd lose you in the technicalities because I'm not sure that I understand it either. But essentially, NFL has um, an offensive team and a defensive team. And the idea is, it's, if you think it's like rugby, it's nothing like rugby. <laughs> and Americans say, oh, it's just like rugby. It's nothing like rugby. And the idea is that, and here's why it's nothing like rugby. 
you have a team and, and some guy's got the ball between his legs and he flicks it to a guy who throws it to a guy who's then got to run for his life and try and get to the other end of the, the field and put the ball down. That's called a touchdown. Thank you. Yeah, touchdown. All right, that's the idea. And they can be tackled so many times and then they have to turn the ball over and that's how, that's how it works. Now, what happens is if the guy, as I saw the other Monday night on a replay of NFL highlights, because this doesn't happen often, the guy, the quarterback got the ball, threw the ball to some guy and he dropped it. Now, these guys get paid 20 million bucks a year to catch a ball. And he dropped it. And the defense guy thought, ball. And he picked it up. And because the offense team were all running that way, he ran that way toward his touchdown line and there was no one there. And he scored his first touchdown in human history. And, and the, point, the point there is that now what happens is that side brings out their offensive side, their offensive team. And they have two teams. They have a team, the offensive, waiting on the bench until it's their time to go out. And then the def defensive team comes, comes off and, and the offensive side part of the team. It's now their job to try and score touchdowns. All right, now, here's the thing. Apologetics is like the defensive team in the side. Polemics is the offensive team in the side. As Mike said, polemics is not just trying to defend Christianity, it's actually confronting something. So here's, here's how we might define it. Polemics confronts bad and false ideas with reason and truth. That's polemics. Now we need to understand this, and you, you will have heard me say this, and I'll say it again on the Finding Truth Matters website. I've got this, that ideas have consequences. And it's this, ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. This is so important to get, because... What I'm about to share, I, I know, and this is the risk I run, that some people are going to misunderstand what I'm saying. It sounds like, oh, are you saying we need to be aggressive and all the rest of it in the sense that you may think I'm saying we have to advance the cause of Christ through force or military aid or something like that. And I'm not. In fact, I'm going to say whenever that happens by someone, you know that they haven't got truth on their side. So it looks like this. Why would someone say, we want to be so hostile toward Christians, we want to kill you? Why would they do that? Because quite probably they can't counter with truth the, uh, I'll call it the attacks that's being made against their view. So you might come up to me afterwards and say, but Andrew, uh, but Andrew, wasn't there the Inquisition in the Middle Ages and didn't, Christians go after people and torture them and burn them at the stake and I would say if you said that thank you for raising that because when that happened it actually makes my point that the people who were doing that did not have truth on their side even though they claimed to be Christians so polemics does not merely attack it exposes falsehood 
You might think, well, now you're bringing in things that, that the Bible doesn't talk about at all. Well, I'm glad you raised that as well, because it does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this, We destroy arguments. Does that sound nice and cuddly? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. We, now notice this, it's not attacking people, it's attacking ideas. It's attacking ideas. As I heard Dr. J. Smith, who's a polemicist, say, he doesn't have a problem with Muslims. He has a problem with Islam. Islam is the idea. Muslims are people. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul the Apostle says this, Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, which stem from a bad idea. But instead, what's that word? Expose them. And how do you do that? By shedding light on it. And truth is often pictured metaphorically as light. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please visit our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Apologetic Arguments for Polemics from our online store. As we've heard tonight, as Christians, we have good reasons to believe that the God of the Bible and what He says is true. Polemics not only confronts bad and false ideas with reason and truth, it exposes falsehood, and we have a burden to do just that. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.